Romans 11, beginning at verse 11. The apostle writes, Again I ask, did they stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to then envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, at Synod 2018 this past June, delegates from Christian Reformed churches all over North America gathered together in Grand Rapids to discuss the business of the Christian Reformed Church. And I attended this year's Synod as a minister delegate from Classes Huron, which is the greater body of churches that we are a part of here at Community CRC. This was my second time at Synod, and I was once again amazed at the diversity of our church. This little denomination of which we are a part, which was founded by immigrants from the Netherlands back in the 1800s. The majority of delegates to this year's Synod, like the majority of our churches probably, are white North Americans uh, with Dutch heritage. But many of the delegates at Synod, at Synod 2018 were not of Dutch heritage. Many were not white. I sat at tables with ministers and elders and deacons from a variety of ethnic backgrounds. African-American, Navajo, Zuni, Korean, Colombian, Dominican, Cree, Japanese, Mexican, Russian, British, 
Nigerian, South African, and many more. Those are just the ones that I could remember. <clears throat> At this year's synod, these delegates from all over North America and all over the world in a lot of ways dealt with an overture from Classes Pacific Northwest, which is in the northwestern United States in uh, Washington and Oregon area. And this overture noted the general kind of decline of membership in our denomination and identified unresolved conflict within our churches as a major cause of the decline that we've been seeing over these last number of years. The great debates that have raged in our little denomination over the past 30 years, debates over women in office, over children at the Lord's table, over the role of deacons at church assemblies and other things have created deep wounds in our relationships with one another. Some people have left for other churches. Some people have created new churches. Some people have created entire new denominations. And some people, sadly, have left the faith. The executive director of the Christian Reformed Church, Steve Timmermans, started off this year's synod, as he does every year, with what we call the State of the Church Address. And in his address this year, he specifically addressed this overture from Classes Pacific Northwest about membership decline, arguing that broken relationships and unresolved conflict are one factor among many that have led to membership decline in our denomination. But he pointed to the fact that while the Christian Reformed Church in North America as a denomination has been shrinking over the past number of years, there are about a dozen classes across North America where the church is growing, where the church is growing. And in these classes, in these regions, churches are growing not primarily through having a lot of kids, although that might be part of it, not primarily through incredible evangelistic efforts, although I'm sure that's part of it too, but churches in these classes are growing the way that the Christian Reformed Church has historically always grown, through immigration. But what is unique about our time, what is unique about what we are seeing today, is that these churches are not growing through immigration from the Netherlands or from other parts of Europe. They are growing through immigration from the rest of the world, especially from Africa, Latin America, and Asia. The face of the Christian Reformed Church is changing, as is the face of Christianity around the world. And in a lot of ways, that's an exciting reality. The Christian Reformed Church of 50 years from now will look very different from the Christian Reformed Church of 50 years ago or even the Christian Reformed Church of today. It will be a church gathered together from all the nations of the earth, bound together by our common creeds and confessions, bound together by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that hopeful picture of the future doesn't take away the pain of broken relationships today. Even as we celebrate God's faithfulness in growing our church through the modern miracle of globalization and immigration, many of us mourn the loss 
of the brothers and sisters who used to sit next to the pews, who used to sit next to us in the pews, friends who have left for other churches, children and grandchildren who have left the faith, sisters and brothers whose absence inspires great pain in us. And that is where we meet the Apostle Paul in our text for today. This passage is right at the center of what is perhaps the climax of his letter to the Christian churches in Rome, churches he has never met but hopes to meet soon and will meet soon. And in this letter to the churches in Rome, the Apostle Paul offers his own kind of state of the church address. He's preparing the way for his future visit, establishing his authority as the apostle to the nations called by God and equipped to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he writes in very compelling terms about the truth of the gospel that we confess. He writes about how all people have been affected by sin and fallen short of the glory of God. All people stand in need of God's grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. God chose the people of Israel, Paul's people, to be his chosen people, the people of God through whom he would bless the nations. God gave them the gift of the law so that through them all the earth might know the will of God the creator and live holy lives in his presence. And now God has sent his only begotten son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves to live a holy and blameless life, to die for the forgiveness of our sins on the cross, to take our iniquity upon himself so that we might receive his righteousness and stand before our God blameless and pure. And through the sacrifice of Jesus, the salvation promised to God's people has been offered to all the earth. Amazing grace, saving grace. And yet, in the face of this incredible good news that Paul shares with the churches in Rome, Paul is troubled by the fact that the gospel has not been received with joy by his own people. His parents, his siblings, his nephews and nieces and mentors and friends and peers, Paul agonizes over God's plan for his people, people he knows and loves Paul wonders what God's will is for them. Much has been written, much has been said about the role of the people of Israel in the covenant of grace. What is the role of God's chosen people in the age of the grace of Jesus Christ? Pastors and theologians have wrestled with this question throughout history, but especially after the horrors of the Holocaust, after the establishment of the state of Israel. That's a difficult knot to untie, and I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> but I don't think we need to do that in order to meet Paul where he is in this passage, because we're there too. We've seen baptized children of God, our parents, our siblings, and mentors and friends and peers, our children and our grandchildren wander away from the faith, forget the promises of God. 
We've agonized and wept and prayed over these covenant children of God as they've wandered outside the fold of Christ's flock. And together with Paul, we wonder, what is God's plan for them? Is God punishing them? Is God punishing us? Has God abandoned his covenant promises? Has God forgotten the promises that he made to us in our baptism? Paul doesn't know what God's plan is for his people. The argument that he lays out in Romans 9 through 11 is impassioned, and Paul's passion makes it a difficult argument to follow. Paul is so passionate here that it sounds almost like he's raving. But what he draws our attention to, what he draws the attention of the Roman church to, is not to details of times and places and destinies and numbers, but to the character of the God whom we worship. The character of our covenant God who is faithful and true, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God who never abandons the covenant, but who expands the covenant by his grace to do things that we would never even have imagined possible. A God whose ways are a mystery to us. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, Paul writes. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Paul reminds the Christians in Rome, most of whom are probably Gentiles, most of whom are probably Romans, that they are not a part of the church because of their own merit or righteousness. They are not a part of the church because the nation of Rome is more glorious than the nation of Israel ever was. They are not members of God's people because they somehow deserve it. Such an attitude leads to pride and arrogance, Paul says, and this is the kind of attitude toward which God is stern. Guard yourselves against pride. Paul says, do not think of yourselves as better than others, because you are here by God's grace alone. It is because of God's kindness that you are included in the covenant of God's people, the venerable heritage of God's faithful promises. And what Paul says here is really beautiful. Paul says that when we live out of that kindness, when we demonstrate that we of all people, though we do not deserve it, have been blessed by the kindness of God to be, made, to be made members of his covenant, members of his people. When we live out of that kindness, it inspires zeal in others. Zeal, the NIV translates this word as envy, which I find a little bit strange, but I guess that's maybe how we use the word envy nowadays. But the word in the Greek is zelos, zelos, zeal, zelos, zeal, passion for God, a kind of holy jealousy that wants the future that God has in store 
prays for it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Paul is saying here in this passage is that when we recognize the kindness that God has shown to us and allow that kindness to fill us and shape us and mold us and transform us, maybe, just maybe, that kindness will inspire zeal in others. Maybe that kindness will inspire zeal in those who have wandered away, in those who have left, in those who have rejected the covenant promises of God. When we live as a people of kindness, shaped by kindness, called by kindness, molded by kindness, saved by kindness, transformed by kindness, and showing kindness to others. When we live as a people of kindness, perhaps God in his mercy will use that to save others. Perhaps even to bring those back who have fallen away. When they see the kind of kindness and flourishing that God's people show, the way that we here now love one another and accept each other despite our differences and despite our weaknesses and work together to show God's kindness to the world. Maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God will spark something in their hearts that makes them say, I want to be a part of that people. And our faithful kind God, who is quick to forgive, will restore them completely. People of God, we do not know the specifics of God's plan. We cannot look at the life of an individual or a nation or a people or a denomination and say, this is what God says will happen to you. We do not know. And not knowing can create uncertainty in us. It can create worry. It can create pain. We do not know God's plan. But we do know God. We know that he is powerful. We know that he is good. We know that he is faithful and true. We know that he is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We know, as the apostle reminds us today, that our God is kind. And we can trust in him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the kindness that you have shown to us. We thank you for the kindness by which you offer the body and blood of Christ 
to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, to sustain us through our journey in this life. We thank you that you confirm this covenant to us in the signs of water and bread and wine. We thank you that you establish us as a covenant people loved and adopted by you. God, you are kind. We are filled with your kindness. We are saved by your kindness. We are transformed by your kindness. And we pray, O oh Lord our God, that we would live our lives as a living testimony to the kindness that you have shown us. That we would be kind. That you would bear in us the fruit of the Spirit. To show kindness to one another. And to the world. And we pray that by this witness. Of your Spirit in our lives. that you would inspire zeal in those who meet us. That you would inspire a zeal that says, I want to be a part of that. I want to know that kindness. Until the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.